At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 575th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who examines the science of farming. We're talking with returning guest Josh Krenz about farming sensors and data. Josh is the Chief Commercial Officer at EarthScout, a global company based in Minnesota, offering technology to support science-minded growers. Josh's agricultural business and marketing knowledge extends to both domestic and international markets in the areas of precision agriculture, nutrients, agricultural inputs, plant growth regulators, seed, and animal health. In addition to his responsibilities at EarthScout, he is the founder and CEO of Vivid Life Sciences, a sustainable plant physiology company, as well as co-founder and president of Winland Flats, a grass-fed brand and farm. Josh, we got to meet you when we learned about making fertilizer from grocery store waste in our podcast episode 383 back in September of 2018. Welcome back to the show today. Hey, Greg, it, it's good to be back, and I appreciate you having me on. Oh, my gosh. Anybody that's uh, as innovative as you are and doing what you're doing, I love chatting with them. So it's yeah. been a little while. Can we bring us up to speed about what's been happening with Vivid Life Sciences? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, last time we spoke and you mentioned it here, we, we talked about uh, the Life Force brand from Vivid Life Sciences, which is the brand that we were taking grocery store food waste and turning it into uh, fertilizer that could be used for farmers. And we're still doing that. And that business is uh, it's still opportunity there. And in the world of, of COVID, it's, it's been interesting as a lot of businesses have been trying to figure out and deal with COVID-19. But one of the interesting components is we haven't been wasting as much food in the stores lately. Oh, wow. Um, and it, which is really interesting because, you know, if you think about it, in a lot of states, they had to shut down restaurants and schools and commercial operations. And, you know, there's questions around where did that food go to? And, you know, we've started to think about, you know, how do we start to look at those food channels in a situation like this where we went from one day having plenty of food waste, not in a good thing, right? But from a supply standpoint, when you're making it into a product, it was a good thing from trying to figure out production, manufacturing, and making a product to one day there was a run on food at the stores and literally hardly any waste. Right. So obviously people are still eating. They just change their eating habits and where they're eating from. You know, so one of the new challenge opportunities there for us is to look at those other channels and see if we can do something about waste in those channels and kind of follow the food and, and see where it goes. And 
So that's really what we've been up to the last six months is just trying to figure out and uh, kind of broaden our perspective beyond grocery stores at this point. By finding food waste from elsewhere, maybe from farmers? Yeah, it, farmers or, or different parts of the channel. I mean, you, you read sad stories about farmers in Florida and Georgia and California and places that had contracts with uh, industrial food makers that would that would make food and and go into into um, you know institutional components. So think schools, restaurants, businesses, and those farmers literally had to leave the food out on the vine right, or leave it in the field and disc it up or plow it up. And that, in essence, isn't the total waste when you look at it because it's going back and, you know, it can be useful in the soil. It's better it, it goes back in there than rots in a warehouse someplace. But the farmer didn't make any money on it either. Right. You know, so if there's a way that we can capture some value there and still produce this or, organic fertilizer that we produce, um, that's what we're looking at. And then there's also other challenges. A, a grocery store provides a, a waste stream that is very homogenous and usually the same because in this country, we eat bananas year round, we eat oranges year round. And so, you know, the waste that comes out of a grocery store is is very consistent and the same. And we need that sameness if you're going to create a consistent product through the year, a consistent fertilizer. And in this case, when when you go to these alternative channels, it leads a new challenge because they deal in bigger bulk foods that are more monoculture. Yeah. Uh, and, and it might only be one crop growing out on that field. And so now you have a whole wasted field of tomatoes. Well, in order for us to make our, our fertilizer based off of the recipe we've created through working with grocery stores, we're now presented with a new challenge of trying to source those different, you know, raw, you know, food that was being thrown away from multiple places rather than a single place like before. So we, we haven't solved it yet. We're still working on it. Uh, food waste is still certainly a huge challenge for this country. And, you know, if anything good came out of COVID-19 is hopefully there's a realization within the U.S. compared to other parts of the world that, you know, we do have a pretty deep network of, of farmers of all shapes and sizes across this country that provide food. And while local grocery stores in some cases had a run on food, as a country, we never ran out. Right. And so it, it tells you something about the, uh, the food supply in the U.S. today. Yeah, amen to that. You know, Josh, that's one of the things that I, I had noticed about you in the past and, and in this conversation is how innovative you are. And it really takes innovation to make big change in the world. And so that's one of the reasons I love what, you know, the, why I love you doing what you're doing, because you have to innovate and that's how things get done. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Greg. And I know you have a lot of the same mindset and, and so forth, but you know, I just look at the world from uh, from the view of what are the, the the issues or problems that we can solve today. If it's helping create more food or reducing that food waste, helping farmers be more productive, helping us be more productive and growing our gardens, whatever that is, that's just, that's just how my mind is programmed. Yeah, and that for all of you want to be entrepreneurs or even all of you entrepreneurs out there, what Josh just said that's really important. We handle and create solutions for problems we have right now. And it's fun, right, Josh? Yeah. I, I wake up every day because it's different and I love it. And that's part of why I, I love it. And I get to meet different people in different facets all over the world and in different industries. And a lot of people have the 
the same value systems and want to do the same, you know, types of things and have the same end goal. And it's just about trying to figure out how you do it together. Right. Well, and that's okay. Here's another key piece for everybody that's listening. Collaboration. I just heard you speak to, we've got to do this together, right? Yeah. No, none of us singly by ourselves, no matter what the problem is, you know, like food waste we were just talking about or, or helping farmers grow better, smarter, faster, whatever it is we're trying to address, we're, we're all only a single cog in, in the whole system, right? So if we're going to make any progress, no matter what the problem is, you're going to have to reach out to people and collaborate for their expertise and, and their know-how and, and things that you just don't know because nobody knows everything. Yeah. Amen to that. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. So let's talk about Earth Scout. You a couple of months ago, you reached out to me and you said, "Greg, I got this new project I want to share about. It's called Earth Scout. What is it?" Yeah, no. So uh, you know, we talked about being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur from that aspect. And my lens is always going back to my roots. Right, I'm a dairy farm kid from Wisconsin, and while I, my degrees are in business and so forth, I'm always thinking about how do I help grow better. Right you know, an insert farmer, insert backyard gardener, insert, you know, you, you pick it, right. It all, in my world, it all evolves and, and runs around food. So the Earth Scout mission is, is really about in this world of data that we have today, the internet of things that you talk about where you can Google and, and learn anything that you want. And, and that's all driven by data. Right. So, you know what, companies like Google and Microsoft and the IBMs and the Apples of the world, those are all those are all data companies. Right. We think of them as devices and so forth. But the devices are just one way that you deal with the data. And what we do at Earth Scout is we create devices that collect that data that make it easily accessible and usable for the grower. And with the mission that we want growers, farmers, backyard gardeners to own and utilize that data and not have to share it with anybody unless they want to. And and the idea is behind the data, it's it's around gathering intellect during the season, before the season and after the season to help you grow a better fruit, vegetable, crop, whatever it is that you're trying to grow. Because, you know, really when you have metrics, then you can manage. And what we're doing is providing another part component of metrics to help bring some science to the art that is farming. What kind of data are we talking about? Yeah, so, so it's, it's, uh, it depends really on what crop you're growing and where you're at. But to give you a couple examples, we have within the Earth Scout. So think of the Earth Scout is it's it's a tripod that sits out in your field that has a cellular single signal that talks and communicates back to the cloud, which comes back to us as the company. And that Earth Scout unit can have up to five different sensors on it. And those sensors are taking different measurements based off of what you are trying to measure during that crop. And so, for example, one of the measurements is a soil sensor where you actually put the soil in or the sensor in the soil and that sensor will measure the moisture in the soil. It'll measure the temperature of the soil and it'll measure the EC or electronic or electron conductivity within the soil. And then the question is, well, what do you do with that data? But the moisture one is really easy to get your head around because every everything needs moisture, right? People need moisture to live. Plants need moisture to live. And in a lot of parts of the country, we irrigate crops. 
and we irrigate lawns. You know, one of the, the biggest crops in the United States is called grass. I know. You know, how many how many sprinklers and systems do people have across this, this country? Um, just for the record, I don't have a sprinkler in my lawn, Greg, because you're wondering. But, uh, you know, ac- across the country, you know, when we're growing a crop, the question is, when you turn it on, that irrigation, whatever form it is, is it getting into the root zone and is my soil moist enough? Or in most cases, is it too wet? You know, because it's the it's the old ad of a, a little bit is good. A lot's got to be better, right? Right. You know, that's, a, that's what a, a mentality a lot of people take when it comes to watering their plants, mm-hmm. watering a crop, watering their lawn. And so in this case, by having that sensor that you could put within the root zone of whatever crop it is that you're growing, you can measure that moisture over time and map that up with the times that your irrigation system runs and even how long your irrigation system runs. You know, so, you know, some irrigation systems have a meter on it, right? Especially in parts of the world where you have water rights and water right issues like California, Arizona, in your backyard, right? Where the, oh, yeah. the city's measuring how much water you get or the municipality or the county or whatever your authority is. So you may be limited on water anyways, but the question is, so if you put out the equivalent of, let's say, a quarter of an inch or two-tenths of an inch of water, quote-unquote, that might come in the form of rainfall if it wasn't irrigation, how much of that got into six inches of the soil or 12 inches deep? And when you're pushing water through the soil, you're also pushing nutrients, which is what EC right. measures. Yep. Is And so when you start to look at those data points as a grower, a farmer, a gardener, a lawn keeper, you can actually start to make better decisions that'll help you be more sustainable and maximizing your water usage, right? Mm-hmm. It, it may not always mean that you're using less. I'd like to say that, right? You, that you're going to use less all the time, but it might actually mean that you're going to use the water that you have to its full capacity, you know, in the, in the different times that, that you need to use that water. So that's just, that's an example of one data point that you have. And, and I could go into other examples of different sensors and different types of uh, data that we can collect as well through that Earth Scout unit. So I originally thought that Earth Scout was a product for farmers and outdoor farmers, but it seems to me, because we talked about the whole lawn thing, this might be a great product for golf courses. You hit it on the head. It's it's anywhere where you're using a resource that needs to be measured, whether it's scarce or not. And we, we are using the Earth Scouts today on golf courses. I like to name a really big, important one in the Minneapolis area that may have big tours on it, but I can't say the name out loud, but I'll tell you that much. Okay. Um, and, and, and that's what we're doing. We're doing everything I just described, plus using some other sensors to actually uh, measure some other components of their golf course as well. Wow. Well, and so what about indoor use? One would think you might yeah. be able to use this in, you know, in these, these new food warehouses that are starting up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so especially in those types of environments that are controlled. So you think about an outdoor environment going back to if you can't measure, you can't manage. Well, there are certain things you can't manage. So in parts of the world, we, we can't manage rainfall, right? It's going to rain or it's not going to rain. But right. you can't manage that. But in a warehouse or in a crate or under a greenhouse, that's 100% unless you've got glass where the sun can come through. 
it's a hundred percent all artificial, right? You, you man that entire environment. So in that case, you know, the, the moisture sensor might be important, but also other sensors like the amount of CO2 that's in the air. So remember, you know, plant, plants convert CO2 into oxygen. Mm -hmm. And so if, if there's not enough CO2 and especially in a warehouse type environment, you know, one of the biggest crops grown in the United States in a warehouse, tomatoes, lettuce, a lot of hanging lettuce now, hydroponic lettuce, um, cannabis. There's a lot of cannabis that's grown in, in warehouses. Oh, yeah. All of those crops need to have CO2 in order to have that. And you take that for granted when you're outdoors, right? You have plenty of CO2, right? It's in the air. But when you're in a confined environment, you might actually have to add some CO2 to the environment in order for those plants to be able to respirate and, and, and have the uh, whole photosynthesis take place. Wow. So that would be a great thing to measure. Yep. So we do have sensors for the Earth Scout that measure CO2 in the air. They measure oxygen in the air. We can measure oxygen in your soil. Uh, we can also measure light intensity. For the indoor, since you, you asked about indoor, we can measure what we call uh, quantum radiation. So that is the uh, measurement of artificial light, you know, because, and in that case, that's important for a couple of reasons. One is if you're in a warehouse only environment, how do you know that you have enough light on that lettuce or that tomato plant when it's growing? Like, how, how do you know? Unless you, unless you have a tool like Earth Scout to measure that or Part two, how do you know how far the light is getting through the canopy or through the leaf structure of those? And let's think about a tomato plant, right? So you've got a pretty, you know, you got different levels of different leaves and branches on that mm -hmm. tomato plant. You know, in order for some of the ripening to take place within that, you still need a certain amount of sunlight all the way through. Well, do you have the light, right light intensity in your greenhouse or indoor grow? to be able to get those tomatoes to be ripe throughout the year. And the Earth Scout tool can help you measure that light intensity to see if you actually are at the correct levels based off of your interpretation of the correct levels based off of crop. Right. Wow. These are some of these things I don't know that people would even think about. How did you guys come up with this? Yeah, you know, so the idea behind data, you know, we didn't invent that, right? You know, the, the Googles, the IBMs, the... The, all those companies I mentioned earlier are they're creating data around us every single day in our life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, scary data sometimes when you're like, "Wow, how did such and such application know that I was interested in that thing?" Right? Well, <laughs> right. you did a search on it at, at some point, right? And and this is just taking those uh, that technology that already exists in the world, but pairing it up with sensors that come out of other technologies. So. So the Earth Scout actually developed out of a parent company uh, that's called uh, Design Ready Controls that makes uh, industrial grade um, circuitry boards and sensor systems that we use in commercial HVAC systems oh, and wow. other commercial systems in, in different industries. And so they've got over 20 years of experience through that company of helping us better heat and cool industrial buildings across the world, right? And it's kind of like the Intel inside. It's it's inside all of those big name companies that are that are in those industries like Carrier and people like that, right? Yeah. Um, and so so we have a lot of experience on one side and dealing with sensors in harsh conditions. And 
growing in agriculture is it can be a harsh condition. It can be really oh, yeah. hot in places like where you live mm-hmm. and really cold in places like Minnesota where I live. And so you have to have sensors that will work on both extremes and they have to work in humidity, moisture, you know, they have to be able to get wet, um, all those components. So you have that marrying up with one side with where the rest of the world is already going with technology and data. And we put together uh, over the course of the last four years, this project's been going on, a group of hardware and software engineers that have just been marrying those two things together. Wow. How cool is that? There's yeah. There's also a term here that I don't understand, and it's IoT. What is that? Yeah, so it's the Internet of Things. So you'll hear a lot of the software companies and data companies that will talk about that. So the, the Internet of Things is, is basically think about all of the, the data and information that's out there called the cloud, right? Mm-hmm, right? You know, all that information. It's about utilizing tools. So Internet of Things is using smart tools, smart sensors. So, for example, Internet of Things, there's this really big company whose name starts with an A that a lot of people order stuff from that's delivered to their house, right? Yep. You know, and, and you say, hey, Alexa, right? Can you turn on the light? And so that is a smart device that uses the Internet of Things that has a voice recognition tool that now recognizes your voice to tell you to turn on the lights, right? It's using data, crunching it, analyzing it, and spitting back a result in, you know, faster than we can even process, right? Yeah, real time. And and, And that's what the Internet of Things is, is it's bringing all that data with different uh, trigger points, in this case through sensors, to just marry up those things so that it, it works for whatever the end result is supposed to be. Wow. And what kind of results are you seeing with Earth Scout, and what kind of difference is it making? Yeah, so so I'll talk about a, a farmer uh, who's growing strawberries. So first time using the Earth Scout this year. So one of the things in strawberries, and a lot of people grow strawberries in their in their backyard, and there's a lot of you picks, and we grow strawberries all over in this country uh, year round. We eat strawberries in the store, right? Yep. And so so strawberries, you kind of a universal crop. It's grown almost everywhere in the U.S. But one of the things with strawberries that affects flavor is if it's overwatered, you don't get a lot of flavor. You know, how many times no. have you gone to the store, you buy strawberries, and you're like, this one does, how come those you pick <laughs> ones taste better, right? Yeah. Well, part of it is part of it is the varieties that they grow, right? Because they grow, the varieties that you see in the store are different varieties for storage, right? Because they're not eaten for 7 to 14 days based off transport. But the other part of it is looking at the water. So we worked with a, a local U-Pick strawberry place um, that also happens to uh, be in Minnesota and provide strawberries to a couple of the high-end um, grocery stores in Minnesota in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Twin Cities area. And uh, they had an issue with these really sweet variety of strawberries that were supposed to taste really good. And the farmer said, you know, some of them just they don't get sweet like they're supposed to. And, and the question was, well, why do you think that is? So we teamed up uh, with the Earth Scout and they had a strawberry consultant that we worked together with. And we figured out through the tracking of the Earth Scout that one of the reasons those strawberries didn't taste as good is it was right after big rain events, right? And, and, they, and they're oh, out there strawberries. You can't, you, 
but you can't control the rain event, right? Right. You know, but but at least now you knew why. And if there was a time period where you didn't have rain and you were trying to not overwater it to be able to accomplish that, you know, certain crops going back to what I said earlier, you know, if a little bit's good, a lot's better, right? Yep. Well, certain crops like strawberries, grapes, you know, those types of crops actually need a little bit of water stress to bring out some of that flavor, some of that some of that the sugars that are in the plant, right? Yep. And so if if they have too much water during those times when they're developing uh, towards the end of putting that barrier, that fruit on, they just won't, those sugars won't be created in that same way to give you that taste that you want. And so, but that's a, that's a real life example, crop that goes across most of the U.S., that uh, you could actually measure and have a tangible result on and say, I want to grow better strawberries. Well, let's, uh, let's start man- managing your water. Well, and that's, that's a huge piece of it, even if we're just looking at it from the cost perspective. Because if you're helping mm-hmm. them water, manage their water better, they're going to save money. Right, right. Yep, they're going to save money. Yeah, so, so this is why we're bringing that technology so it's a win-win-win from a farmer standpoint. They're win on maybe they're saving water, like you just said, right? Maybe they're able to help reduce their electricity. You know, pretty much all of these things are electric or gas-driven motors yep. in order to make and make these irrigation things happen. So you got that part of it. And then part three, maybe someone will pay more for those juicier strawberries. <laughs> right? I know I would. Yeah. I mean, right. If you want a good product, you should be willing to pay a little bit more for it. And so all three of those things uh, put together, that helps keep smaller farms open. That helps keep you pick stations open. You know, that that helps all of those folks that, that work in the supply chain from a food standpoint. Wow. And so with Earth Scout, what size of farm or garden would benefit from this technology? Yeah. You know, so we have examples of Everything from I've got a small 20 foot by 60 foot garden in my backyard. I have two Earth Scouts in it, but but I may have access to the technology. So (laughs) I've got two, but but I've already changed my my watering right based off of what my Earth Scout sensors are telling me. So there's no limitation really on size. Uh, We work with growers that farm tens of thousands of acres. They're far farming with great big huge pivots that you would see. In, in Texas or places like that, where those pivots are their only source of water. And we've got those Earth Scouts out there as well. So, so it isn't really about the size of the grower. The important thing is that the grower can do something about the data, right? So, so for example, you know, if I put it in my garden and if I don't change my watering schedule or my fertilizer schedule or do something based off the data, it's just in my way when I'm trying to to weed my garden, uh-huh. right? You know, there's no use for it. It's the same with, you know, with the strawberry farmer that we talked about. If that farmer isn't willing to change their water to create those better strawberries, it, it doesn't work. If the farmer in West Texas that's growing 320 acres of alfalfa on a pivot isn't willing to change their watering system or have the ability to do it, it doesn't matter. So it's really about having the mindset first and then second, it's the ability to do something about the data. Wow. Well, that makes perfect sense. So if somebody wanted this sensor technology for their farm or even for home use, how do we do that? Yeah, so they can come uh, check out our website, which is earthscout.com. And it explains the technology more in depth. 
uh, goes through there and there's a contact us page on there as well. And uh, so people can contact us with more questions or if they're interested in uh, getting an earth scout to, to help better, better manage their grass or their garden or their field. You know, going back to what we just said, it's, it's, you want to, you have to have people who want to have a passion for making the change. And then two, they have to have the ability. Wow. Excellent. Thanks for all that great and interesting information. I've, uh, I've learned a lot in the past 30 minutes or so. Thank you. I'm going to shift on you. And as a returning guest, what I like to do is I like to ask about a childhood memory around food. And given that you grew up on a farm, I'll bet you have a good one. <laughs> you know, I, the, the issue for me is narrowing it down, Greg. I think, uh, you know, I, I have so many great memories of growing up on a farm. It was a, a small, you know, uh, 50 cow dairy farm in western Wisconsin by a, a town called Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And it just so many memories from working with individual cows and, and, you know, naming them all and feeding calves. I got pictures of me when I was two driving a tractor and, oh, nice. and feeding calves with a bottle. And, and those are all things. And, that, and that's why I have the, the grass-fed beef business that I do today. And we have a small hundred acre farm, you know, and I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and, and everything that I do today is for them is based off of, in some ways, uh, you know, you could say selfishly, I'm trying to recreate some of those memories that I had for them. And so those are things. And so, so for example, probably the, the memories that hit me the most are, well, while I'm a cattle person, I love the cattle and, and all those things, but it was refrigerated pickles growing up. You know, we had those, it was the kind that you made with the vinegar and the yep. half and half and the, and I, you know, and, and it was a, a family recipe and, we had a big, big family of five brothers and sisters and big garden and, you know, everything, you know, lots of great memories and everything comes through. And I remember pickles. Um, and it's funny because I try to make those same pickles for my kids today. Yeah. Refrigerator pickles, I think they call them, right? Yep. Yeah. Cool. And did any of your siblings go into farming as well? You know, it's, it's interesting. None of them did. You know, they, you know, I have a sister who lives on a hobby farm. But none of them actually did. And, and, and part of it was, you know, the time that we grew up in agriculture was not a good time. You know, at the beginning, that late mid, mid to late 80s was uh, the end of the high interest rate rates. And, and uh, there was a lot of, I'll just say it this way, there was a lot of financial hardship growing up on the right. farm at that time. Wow. You know, so you could say I was the only one dumb enough to decide that uh, I got addicted to it and just couldn't get out of the industry. There you go. I'd say the only one, you were the one that was smart enough to stay in an industry (laughs) that is so incredibly important right now. Yeah. Well, but that's changed in the last 20 years, right? We look at our food and we look at our food system differently. and, And I'm so appreciative for the way that I grew up on a small farm and being able to kind of put that mindset today to, to help everybody from small farmers to big farmers and everything in between. Yeah. Wow. How cool is that? And do you have a new piece of advice for me, for our listeners? Yeah. You know, it, it feels like some of it came out at the beginning of the interview when we were talking about being entrepreneurs and, and, and working with people, but that is the biggest thing. And I know it, it's overstated so many times, but it can't be overstated in my Thank opinion. You. Yes, is uh, we're we're in a we're in a people world. We're in a people business. You know, just when you think you can't reach out or or you don't want to, you can't, or you're polarized. And and we live in a a fairly polarized world, depending on the situation. Uh, We can't stop reaching out to people. It's what makes us, 
you know, different entrepreneurial. It's what creates small businesses and what makes us frankly human. Yeah. There you go. There's that collaboration piece again. Thank you so much for joining us on the show once again today, Josh. No, Greg, it, it was my pleasure and, and uh, appreciate you letting me back on again. Oh my gosh. Well, and you know, I was thinking that we probably should have you come back again and talk about your cattle business at some point. So keep that in mind. Okay, I will. I would appreciate that. So how can our listeners get a hold of you at Earth Scout? Yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, go to uh, earthscout.com and hit on the contact us, and that will uh, end up getting to me through the organization. Or you can also email me directly. And my email is josh.kren at earthscout.com. Perfect. And you can find Josh on episode 318 of our podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash life force. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash earth scout. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.